You're listening to the Keep Optimizing Podcast to increase your traffic, improve your conversion rates, and grow your profits. Hello and welcome. If you're looking to improve the performance and return on investment of your marketing, then you've tuned into the correct podcast. I'm Chloe Thomas, the host of this Marketing Focus show, and it's great to have you tuning in to learn more about marketplace selling. In today's episode, I'm talking to Lorna about five things to do before you start selling on marketplaces. Because this month we've been all about marketplaces. We've discussed why you should sell on marketplaces. We've discussed why you should not sell on marketplaces. And last week, John shared some great tips for doing really well on Amazon. In today's episode, we're getting into five key things you need to have in order to get your marketplaces journey right, to get started in the right way. Now, Lorna's coming at this from a UK perspective. So a couple of times we will be talking UK specific, but every single tip and advice she's giving is totally relevant to you wherever you are in the world and whatever marketplace selling you're thinking about doing. Be warned, this is going to put a lot of things on your to-do list, but it's also going to set you up, if you follow it, right for creating a really successful marketplace arm to your business. We're just about to meet Lorna, but before we do, please do check out the sponsors. This podcast is brought to you by Clavio, the ultimate e-commerce marketing platform for brands of all kinds and sizes. Whether you're an entrepreneur just starting out or you're part of a marketing team at a multinational brand, Clavio will give you everything you need to create memorable marketing moments, building customer relationships that keep shoppers coming back time and time again. Get started with a free account today. Visit clavio.com slash masterplan. That's K-L-A-V-I-Y-O dot com slash Masterplan. Today, I'm chatting with Marketplaces expert Lorna Lever. Lorna is the Marketplaces Engagement Manager at GS1 UK, where she helps marketplaces and retailers to work well together. Previously, she's worked in-house at big UK retailers Boohoo, June and Mothercare, running their marketplace sales. So for the last 10 years, Lorna's been working with and selling on many, many different marketplaces. Hello, Lorna. Hi, Chloe. Excited to be with you today. It's great to have you here. I can't think of anyone I know better place to help retailers sell on marketplaces with all you've done and all the conversations you have. Um, this is a, is a great, great, you're a great guest for this topic. So we're going to be helping people work out how to get ready to sell on marketplaces. So I have to start by asking you, how did you get ready or how did you end up working with marketplaces and on marketplaces? Well, that is a super kind introduction. And I would say uh, by accident is actually the honest answer. Um, so it was at Mothercare quite a few years ago now, actually. Um, well, when Mothercare was still here, to be, to be fair. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, so um, I was working on their e-commerce team, um, actually for the Early Learning Centre website specifically then. Um, and then it was at the time when big brands didn't really do the, the marketplaces. It was more kind of the thing mm-hmm. for the smaller sellers, the the little guys in the bedroom, they were sort of stereotyped as. Um, But then Mothercare decided to give it a test with some early learning centre toys. Um, And then I went through the kind of flat file hell that um, people do when they start (laughs) up. Um, And it kind of grew from there, eventually moving on to Channel Channel Advisor um, as the the solution provider for that. So, yeah, we, um, we made that a lot slicker than the flat file, thankfully. 
Yeah, it's um, the, the flat file, but we're meaning basically a CSV file, aren't we? Yes, of, yeah. Of nightmare. Yeah, so a lot of copying and pasting, a lot of Excel praying <laughs> that you don't do a, a wrong click and reformat the whole thing. And, and hunting through to find that comma that has sent the whole thing spiralling southwards. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. Not fun. Yeah, fun and games. Well, guys, we'll be helping you avoid problems like that as we go through through today. Um, okay, so Lorna, you're going to be taking us through five things we need to do before we can start selling on marketplaces. So, what's the first thing we need to do? Well, I would say it's kind of thinking of the philosophy of getting your foundations right. And so, with that in mind, I would say get the branding sorted. That would be the key first thing that I would say to start with. Um, and most importantly, especially if you're starting on Amazon, um, it's things like trademarks, because without them, that, that really hinders your setup. Um, and we see it a lot from the members that we speak to that are joining GS1. Yeah, because it, and that's because it, it means other people can create listings and you've got less control of how your product's seen. So it kind of unlocks an extra tool set, doesn't it? Yeah, that's with um, brand registry. So if you are the, the brand owner, then getting yourself registered on brand registry does give you those extra tools, yeah. But if you don't obviously have to do the brand registry, it, it, but it's just, just kind of an extra tick box. But um, having things like trademarks actually certified helps you with the sort of setup process when you're listing on Amazon. Because um, when you put in the information in on the brand field, it's one of the things that they use as a defining feature, feature to build your uh, listing, which it goes in combination with your, your GTIN, so the product identifier. And it's the combination of those that are usually the, the main hiccups that people see when they first start listing. Certainly what we probably spend about 90% of our time dealing with our members to try and help them through those bits. So there you go, guys. Trademarks essential. The world of trademarks just feels a bit crazy. And I know a lot of people don't spend an awful lot of money on trademarks. So are there any kind of tips you've got for keeping it practical, manageable and not being your biggest cost this year? Yeah, I think the main one is probably checking that it already exists first, because um, sadly, there's probably most of your ideas will already be taken. Um, but then also making sure that you keep it more holistic. So... I don't know, rather than you saying that you're uh, coppertea.com and then realising that you're going to go into biscuits, um, you need to make sure that it's something a bit more bit more well-rounded so that you don't have to find that you have either got to change it or it's a bit confusing for the consumer once you, you diversify the product range a bit more. So there's a bit of future-proofing and a bit of potentially a bit of rebranding of the whole business. This yeah. could be the catalyst that leads us to go, actually we were always going to do more than tea. So now's the time to, to shift our name. Yeah, exactly. Um, I think there's there's probably one thing that's kind of got you into that that niche or the, the thing that's the idea or the, the invention that's made you start in the in the first place. But I think making sure that you, you can kind of be a bit bolder in the plans of what, what your sort of ideal long term for it would be and then try and do the branding around that. Okay, so I have, I have a feeling as we're going to be going through these that these may lead us to not realise that there's that this is one of those processes where you kind of identify things you should have fixed in the business, not just things you have to do on a, on a marketplace. You know, I think that branding piece is one of them. It's like, oh, 
oh yes, we probably need to upgrade that before we create another load of um, load of opportunity. So what's our what's our second one? Is that the case with our second one as well? Is this something which could impact the whole business, not just our marketplace prep? Absolutely. This is definitely one of the, the foundations thing again. Uh, obviously, I'm, I'm biased towards this, given I work for GS1 UK, but getting your product identifiers. Um, and this is definitely bigger than marketplaces. This this These are the identifiers that will stay with the product irrelevant of what channel that you sell them through. So that could be online, offline, anywhere, basically any country. Um, so these are the GTINs that I just referenced um, before. So this is the product identifier that actually gets you onto the Amazon um, catalogue. There are a few categories that don't need them. So things like handmade, all of that sort of stuff. But you, you can't list without them, basically, because Amazon needs to be able to match the products in the back end of their catalogue to ensure that they have one product for one product page, rather, for one product. So I want to drill into GTINs and, and product identifiers a little bit more. So first of all, it's not only Amazon, is it? It's other marketplaces as well where these are, but it's but Amazon's the one which you are completely stuffed if you don't have them. Yeah, there's um, probably every every month we see more and more marketplaces starting to mandate these. Um, I would say UK-based ones, OnBuy and Frugo, they've, they mandate them as well. So um, you'll definitely encounter the fact that you need to use them the more and more channels that you start interacting with. But yes, Amazon is probably the, the biggest one because it has the, the biggest amount of sellers. Uber, you've mentioned uh, GS1. We should probably explain what GS1 is um, and the UK and the global roles of GS1 as well. For anyone who's going, who is this GS1? Why are they involved in all of this? So could you give us that explanation quickly as well, please? Yeah, we're probably the um, the best kept secret for the most common thing. Obviously, everyone knows a barcode, yet not many people know GS1. But um, we kind of liken ourselves to the guardians of the barcodes. So we license the number that enables you to create the barcode from that. Um, we've been around about 50 years. The barcode is actually 50 years old last year. Um, so it's not new technology. Uh, we've got 115 offices around the world. So even if you're not a UK seller, there'll be one close to you. Uh, you can join any of them that you want to. And I work for the, the UK office. And you are the only place it's worth going, or GS1, I should say, not Lorna. GS1 <laughs> is the only place it's worth going to get those all-important GTINs. Yeah, believe it or not, there's actually a great market for barcodes. So <laughs> <laughs> not many people realise that, but um, you can obviously get fake versions like you can fake things for anything. Um, they will obviously be a lot cheaper. But the problem is with product identifiers, they have to be unique, otherwise they don't work. And the point is to be globally unique. And when you get them from third parties, we can't, we can't guarantee the uniqueness. And obviously, if you get to the situation where you've sent, I don't know, a load of stock into a warehouse, whoever it is that you're trading with, and it clashes with another number, then that's going to cost you a lot of time and money, and as well as lost sales. So... It, it, again, going back to what I said before, make sure the foundations are right from the start. Otherwise, you just have to go back and fix the problems. Yeah, and, and one of the things that I've spoken with you in the past, not on a podcast, guys, so you can't hear this, but this is something which is happening in the in the marketplaces space, is the, the brand and trademarks increasingly being linked back to the original identifier. So there's ever more levels of checks and ever more reason to benefit from it's not just a, a you know a, a series of stripes you print on the side of a box there are now increasing benefits to getting it done and getting it set up right which obviously is going to be a lot easier if you go direct to gs1 to do it 
Yeah, absolutely. The, um, the first part of the number is actually known as your company prefix. And that enables you to create a lot more than just the barcode for a product. So you can do locations, you can do SSCCs, so they're shipment codes, um, and they're all unique to your business. So what you will find if you've got them from somewhere else, so from a different third party, they will actually relate back to a different company. Um, you can actually check our, our database to see uh, who that number belongs to uh, if you've got them from somewhere else. Um, and then that will be the information that Amazon is able to see. And then that's when you're going to encounter issues because uh, we've got a classic example. So um, a company joined us that sold cold brew coffee. They're one of our UK sellers and their numbers actually related back to a gum manufacturer in the US. So that's not Ooh. great for your branding, as you can imagine. Yes, not ideal. So yeah, go, go and buy them from the right source is what we're saying. And um, how many do we need? Yes, so that's probably our other common question. Um, and it's a misconception at, at working out which level it is that you need to apply the numbers. So for companies where they've got different uh, variations of the same product, so different sizes, for example, or different flavors, you would need to apply it at what is the either child level, level or the SKU level, whatever you call it within your business, but basically the very base level. So if you think about it in that, however someone orders from you, if you need to know which variation of that product it is that they are asking for. And then the GTIN is applied to that level. Excellent. And these are, whilst they're, they're a little bit, once you've got your head around them, they are considerably easier. This is a considerably easier step than the brand step, isn't it? Yeah, because once they're applied to the product, that's it. It stays with it for its life, uh, stays with it for its channel. Um, the only side note to that would be if you made changes to that product, if there's significant changes, then you may need to apply a new one. And that's just so that people, as in supply chain or customers, are aware that it's a slightly different version of that product. But once you're done, you're done, basically. Excellent. OK, so that's our first two. One, get our branding sorted. Two, get our product identifiers, our GTINs sorted. And then what's our, what's our third one, Lorna? So for me, it would be the packaging. Obviously, this is kind of linked to the product identifiers because once you're doing your, your packaging, you're then thinking about whether you want to put the barcode onto it. Do you need that at this point, for example? Is it going to be that you want the product to be store retail ready? Then... The other main factor that uh, you need to think about when you're particularly with marketplaces is actually that's the first physical interaction that the customer has with you. So it, it's going to be their first impression. So you want to make sure that you can make that the best you can possibly be, given that you haven't got like a sales assistant that you would typically see uh, in a store environment. So we're not talking plain brown packaging here. We're talking something that, that sings your brand and probably tells them a bit about your story. I mean, you can keep it plain, but obviously making sure that you've got some bits and pieces on there just is, is added value. You're, you're making the most of the opportunity. So having things like uh, social handles, hashtags, anything that you're, you're kind of aiming for within your marketing campaigns, you can utilise that there. One thing that I particularly like is uh, sort of extras. So for example, if you're if you're selling a toy, uh, you could use your packaging, so a cardboard box, for example, to have it as a way to add in things like play tips or, I don't know, a castle that can be used with the toy. So it's, it's second uses for, for those that, that sort of adds to the brand impression. And then obviously that doubles to making it eco-friendly. So instead of just chucking it out, you're, you're giving it a second life. 
If you sell something with food, you could put the, a recipe on the inside of it, for example. And presumably there's some, some, so those are some great kind of marketing focused things to do with our packaging. Presumably there's, a, there's another level of making sure the product gets there okay and the cost of getting it there we should think about too? Yeah, obviously it's got to protect the product. So uh, you don't want to um, be skimping on that area because obviously that's going to impact returns and um, any also obviously first impressions of the product being broken. But given that you're going to be using marketplaces and things are going to go through the post, the dimensions and the weights are probably the most critical thing. So if you're selling something small, making sure that the, the package is designed so that it can fit through a letterbox. And then that will help to reduce any missed deliveries or people having to go to a locker to go and get it. You're just, just thinking about things that are going to make it all that more convenient for you. And then therefore that's going to reflect better on you as a brand. Yeah, and as, um, as someone who, who spent the early part of her career with complicated spreadsheets trying to work out what the pricing implications were of more pages in the catalogue on a postage front, there is a lot to be gained if you get the size of your box right for the postage prices. Wherever you are in the world, look at what the local uh, the local you know sizes are and you know a few mil off here and there can save you a small fortune um in delivery costs uh, anyway that, that's my that's my size rant um over <laughs> anything else we should think about on our packaging i would say if you are going into uh getting the barcode on the product at this point on the packaging um think about the placement of it so um make sure that it's easy to be scanned so it's it's in a nice easy location obviously most people assume that it's going to be on the back or on the bottom so just keep it sort of don't try and do anything too wacky with it the colors obviously have to be a very good contrast of the barcode obviously if you've got a, a packaging designer they can usually handle most of that and actually have the image tool themselves and that's why we typically see things in black and white but they don't have to be um, the only thing you can't do is use red because that is the colour of the scanner. So that won't be able to scan it if you're in red and white. <laughs> I did not know that. There's a definite no red barcodes, everybody, or <laughs> you you will be having problems. Yes. Um, okay, cool. So that's our, that's our packaging. Uh, what's our number four tip of things we need to get ready before we start selling on marketplaces? So again, slightly linked, it's the logistics. So obviously, uh, like the, the packaging, it's the first interaction with the cons consumer that you'll have. So if it takes ages to get there or it misses the event that they've ordered the product for, um, it's automatically going to be uh, a bad mark against your name. So make sure you've got lots of different options available. Customers like choice. They want to be able to get it next day if, if they need it next day. Obviously, there's added implications for the cost of those, but kind of be ready for um, what you can possibly offer them. So making sure that you've also got some contingencies should that company have a, a problem or a downtime or some delays, you can switch over to another one. Yeah, because it's, it, it's easy to be dependent on one career, but... As we've seen in the last 18 months, things happen and backups are a, are a good idea. Um, you mentioned about, you know, the speed of next day delivery and elements like that. Obviously, on the marketplaces, it, it becomes, you know, customer services is customer service is so important on the marketplaces in terms of if our ratings and staying happy, you know, the marketplace is staying happy with us. So is there... Is there any, you know, kind of key things we, we need to make sure we can do for it to be worth going on a marketplace? 
The bigger marketplaces have got tools and kind of added services that they can provide you to help you out with those things, especially if you want to just test it out or you don't really feel like you've got enough volume to be using your own delivery solutions. So things like FBA obviously is the most common known one. So that's Amazon looking after the fulfillment on your behalf. And with that, they will look after the, obviously the inbound and outbound process within the the timescales that they stipulate, but also the customer services as well. So that removes any of the, where's my product kind of stuff, which means that you, you obviously get more time back to be able to do things that actually add value to the business. And should we be offering or how any tips on offering free delivery? Because we know um, delivery costs are a massive barrier to uh, to customers purchasing. Yes, obviously everyone loves the idea of free delivery um, and lots of research do suggest that it obviously does affect the um, conversion rates that you see. But we know that delivery is never going to be free for the for the seller. It's just you have to pay the person to get it there for you. Um, so maybe see if you can look to build this into your margins or even add it to the selling price. Obviously, you, you still need to make sure that you're competitive, but the closer that you can get to this, the better really. Um, and then I would say that look at thresholds. So I think consumers typically wouldn't ever really want to be spending more than five pounds. Obviously, that differs depending on the category of the product. You wouldn't expect a super cheap delivery if it's something really massive and really heavy. But if you can build that into the margin of the product, then that would be the ideal situation. Excellent. And what's our what's our fifth, our fifth and final piece? So that is around getting the margin sorted. Um, I appreciate that this is the tricky bit because this is where you've got to add in fixed costs, variable costs, all of that sort of stuff. And you, you need to make sure that you've got enough margin to cover those costs, but also still be competitive with those that are in the market. And obviously not making sure that you're you're not racing to the bottom and then eventually eroding any mar- margin that you do have there. And that's just a case of getting our spreadsheet sorted and really thinking through our costs? Is it just there's no easier way than that? Yeah. So when I'm saying margin, that is obviously your, your cost price of any uh, bit different components or the final product, depending on how you source those. And then any of the costs of actually doing the marketing, listing on the marketplace and getting the product to the customer. Amazon's commission is roughly around 15%. Obviously, you need to add more if you're uh, using FBA because that's done under this kind of the dimensions of the product, how long you have it there, that kind of stuff. Other marketplaces do vary in commission, though. So if you can't meet that, then maybe have a look at couple of different other marketplaces that potentially offer lower. The commissions can vary depending on the type of product because typically certain categories are a lot harder to achieve 15%, for example. And I'm guessing, you know, we always say that, you know, in marketing, we have our five Ps, one of which is price and price is one of the ways we have things we have to try and get right in order to drive sales. But it's the, the hardest one to tweak and change. So I'm guessing we want to try and get it as accurate as possible from day one. Yeah, because if you you establish the price too low, it will be really hard to get it back up. Obviously, customers are kind of conditioned to seeing prices going down for a certain amount of time for a promotion, for example. But if your your general selling price is is too low and you try and push it back up, customers are very savvy to say, hang on a minute, that was £5 cheaper last week. And of course, we used to say the market, you know, part of your marketplace fee was your marketing costs. And that was all great. But now if we really want to do well on the marketplaces, we have to spend some marketing money on the marketplaces as well. So 
how much should we be factoring in or is it really too hard to, to guesstimate? Yeah, I think um, one thing that I came up against quite a lot in the, the bigger companies that I worked again with was, oh, why are we paying a marketplace a certain percentage when we can do it on our own site without having to pay that? Um, but if you think about uh, the cost of acquisition of getting that new customer, um, it's about building the brand and they might not necessarily know you as a brand. So, yes, you will be paying the marketplaces to get that customer in the first place, but it probably would have cost you a lot more than 15% to get them onto your own website. And yes, the, the marketplaces are building in terms of competitive landscape in that you're going to be fighting for that sale with a lot of other sellers. So you need to be super slick on the, the kind of keywords that you're using for any bidding campaigns that you're actually going to be participating on. But be aware that different marketplaces have different schemes. So you will find that some are better value than others. And certainly around like big trading times, so like prime day is obviously going to be super competitive. So sometimes it may be that actually you can sit back and get the halo effect so the fact that there's a lot more people buying from that marketplace just just because it's a promo day as opposed to trying to fight with them for that particular sale but then if you look at uh, marketplaces like ebay their model is slightly different and that you'll pay the ppc price on when you get a sale not just when you get uh, a viewing of the product so you, you could kind of have to do a bit of playing around. There's a lot of companies out there that can help you with those things. So do your research and do, do some tweaking, really, is what I would say on that, that area. And make sure you've got some budget for that is the other thing we're saying here. Factor that into your margins. Yeah, I think a lot of people don't plan that in when they make that initial investment of the business setup. And especially if it's a brand new product or something really innovative that people haven't really heard of then, yeah, you're going to need to make sure that you set some money aside specifically for that. Excellent. Well, Lorna, it's been an amazingly practical uh, session we've just done with those five areas. We had the branding uh, as number one. Number two was your product identifies those GTINs. Number three, getting your packaging right. Number four, logistics. Number five, margins, which I I said earlier on, you know, that the branding was kind of like one of those things where, opening the marketplace's box becomes a catalyst for fixing something in the whole business. I think all five of them potentially are that. So possibly giving you all a very big to-do list. Uh, well, look, Lorna, thank you for all of that. We are now going to pause for a reminder of our sponsors, and then we're going to talk about the wider world of marketplaces. Success in 2021 means building stronger relationships with your customers. Last year saw a lot of consumers switching to buy online, leading to surges in new customer acquisition. So how are you planning on turning your new first-time buyers into profitable repeat customers? Well, that's what Clavio is for. Clavio helps businesses create memorable marketing moments through email, SMS and personalised website experiences. And that is what creates repeat purchases. That's why Clavio, the ultimate e-commerce marketing platform, platform is used by over 50,000 e-commerce brands around the world. Get started with your free account today. Visit clavio.com slash masterplan. That's K-L-A-V-I-Y-O dot com slash masterplan. 
Okay, Lorna, so far we've gone deep into those five things to do before you start selling on marketplaces. Now you get to wow us with your huge insider knowledge about the whole of marketplace selling. So for the following questions, your answer can be anything to do with marketplaces. So that, of course, includes those five things we've just been through, but also tips for those who are already up and running um, on the marketplaces. So Lorna, are you ready for these? Let's do it. I feel like I'm a mastermind or something. (laughs) (laughs) There's no there's no kind of scary black chair or blinding white lights going on here. So don't worry. It's not it's not as difficult as mastermind. (laughs) Um, Let's start with Marketplace's newbie advice. If we've inspired someone to take their first step with marketplaces, what do they need to know to give themselves the best chance of success? Um, What I would say is it probably relates back to the five that I talked about. Make sure that you get the foundations correct from the start. It's really easy to think, oh, let's just cut that corner or let's just save that money. Let's not do that now. But actually, it's going to save you money in the long term. And I would say that the worst offenders for those kind of things are kind of these get rich quick scheme YouTuber type hack vibes where they promise you that you'll be sipping rums leaning over your Lamborghini in six weeks so I'd just say be be cautious about things where they're promising you too much if it seems too good to be true it usually is Um, marketplaces are for legitimate businesses now they're not just chuck some products on and hope for the best you have to you have to give it its time and effort to to see the rewards but you will get the rewards you just have to make sure that you're putting the effort in there yeah, there are, there's no get rich quick schemes. It's if you do the if you do the work, you are going to get sales for months and months and years and years to come. Exactly. Okay. Once you've started, of course, you've got to keep optimizing. So, what's your favourite way to improve marketplace performance? Yeah, the optimizing is the the, the key one, um, which is is always a little bit tricky because the marketplaces keep doing optimizing themselves. So you have to kind of keep up with any changes or tips and tricks or tools that they bring out that allow you to do that. So I would say that make sure that you're signed up to as many newsletters uh, because there's quite a big ecosystem of people in the market now that are giving you lots of ways to improve that. But um, here at GS1, we've actually done an optimization guide for both Amazon and eBay. So ways to look at the listings and different tools there that you can use to be able to hopefully get more traffic and ultimately more sales. Um, but what, the one thing that I would say is actually using the GTIN to be able to do that for you. Google quote that you see 40% more impressions and 20% more conversion when you're using that number on your Google shopping feeds. Excellent. Well, we will make sure we've added links to those those two guides, um, everyone in the show notes, so you can get your hands on those. And those stats are, ma- are amazing. Yeah. Okay. If someone listening wants to learn more about marketplaces, is there one cheap or free resource you would recommend? Obviously, I mentioned our guides. Uh, we've also got newsletters. We do do quite a lot of um, training, given that we're, we're a trade body. We want to make sure that people are using their... Um, identifiers as best as they can so sign up to our newsletter but ultimately that is basically my job I'm here to help you I'm an engagement team so get in contact with us if there's any big problems that you have we, we can look to find answers because we've got contacts within quite a wide range of companies within the, the market and then also we've got a quite a large member support team that can help you with any problems so just get in touch, really. Use, use us as much as you can. And, and that's part of your membership. So it's a free resource to you. Excellent. Uh, we will make sure there's links to lots of 
GS1 UK resources there for you. And we've also got a lot of people listening from places other than the UK. Are they welcome to sign up to you guys in the UK for extra info and your newsletters or should they go direct to GS1 USA or their local area? Yeah, you're more than welcome to sign up to our newsletters. Absolutely. Uh, What I would say is that obviously the information that we share is probably done towards thinking of the UK market. So if you're not selling in the UK, it might not be that useful. Uh, And in addition to that, you might want one that's local to you, given that you prefer a different language to English, for example, or or even a time zone. So you, you could be getting something 12 hours ahead if you go to the Australian one. And then equally, they will be having different links with different retailers. So you may find that the the one that you want to, you're aspiring to go to next is dealt with by Australia or Costa Rica or any of the countries. But more than welcome to sign up to as many as you want to. Excellent. There you go, guys. So the GS1, whilst they operate in different countries, they are a big, happy family who are all up for helping you. So um, so well worth going and signing up. And we'll add plenty of links to the show notes for you all there. Right, Lorna, finally, it is crystal ball time. What is coming up in the next six to 12 months that we should be getting ready for in the world of marketplaces? I would think that it's probably sustainability. It's going to be a big focus for everybody, not just marketplaces. Obviously, uh, the, the planet is all of our problem. So we need to make sure wherever we can, we're helping it be the best it can be. So I think we're going to start seeing, well, in fact, I was reading about it just before this in the, all of the different eco sustainability programs that Amazon are looking to bring in, kind of the certifying that your product has been done in the most eco ethical way. Uh, I think we're going to see the platforms bringing in lots of different ways of being able to market that to the customers, but also enable the customers to buy things that have that more in mind. So being able to buy the refill option rather than the big main product with the pump and all of the other plastics that you may not need when you're just doing a refill. Um, But what I would say that I would really like to see, and in fact, it's probably, again, bigger than marketplaces. This would be my personal uh, one rather than what what the the market's driving, shall we say. Um, And that's more websites and more companies using uh, GS1 web vocabulary. And basically, that's just a, a, a dictionary that is machine readable for your website. So it's kind of like the metadata. And and all it does is mean that search engines are actually able to understand what your products are about better and quicker. And then therefore they can match it to the the searchers with a lot more accuracy. And that's only better for everybody involved really. Excellent. We'll add a link to that one as well in the show notes. So loads of resources there for you guys this week. Um, Lorna, thank you so much. That has been a brilliant um, introduction to, to how to get our marketplaces up and running. We are very nearly at the end of the show. So could you please let the listeners know where they can find you and uh, GS1 on the web and social media, please? Yes, we are at uh, gs1uk.org for the website. We've got uh, presence on Instagram. Uh, Facebook and Twitter. So GS1 UK, I believe, are the handles for all of them. So get in touch. Thank you so much for having me, though. It's been really great chatting about it. Um, Barcodes can be a bit boring, but they are definitely the foundations of the business. They can help you in so many ways. I always, I, I, it's like I always think a barcode could be boring, but then I always find the more you kind of unpick it, the more exciting and interesting they actually become. But I am a geek, so uh, <laughs> so it kind of suits me. I want to, Lorna, thank you so much. It's been great catching up with you and it's been brilliant sharing so much great advice with the audience. So thanks for coming on the show. No problem. Thanks, Chloe. 
so much great practical advice there from Lorna. Now, a couple of kind of housekeeping things I really need to share with you before I kind of sum things up. First off, if you have listened to that and gone, oh my God, we bought our GTINs, our product identifiers from eBay, and maybe you watched listen to this, you've looked it up and you've gone, oh my word, it's a pet shop in New York. We're not a pet shop in New York. Contact your local GS1 in whichever country you are in, and they will help you work out how to fix those problems correctly. It's what they do. It's what Lorna does is she helps businesses like you when they've got problems like that and also set up correctly in the first place and how to grow on marketplaces and how to make the best use of it. That is her day job is sorting out these problems. And there's people doing that at all the GS1s all over the world. So get in contact with them and they will help you fix any problems you've got like that. And something we didn't mention was the cost of GTINs. You can buy here in the UK, you can buy 10 GTINs for just 50 quid. So these are not expensive to go direct to GS1 and buy them. So that's what you get from GS1 UK. GS1 USA are currently selling a single GTIN. So you can buy just one and then if you want to test something out, that could be quite useful. And wherever you are in the world, you can buy from any of the GS1s. Okay, so you can shop around for the best deal if you want. Some of them do have address restrictions and that sort of thing, but you can buy from any of them. In fact, a fair proportion of GS1 UK GTIN sales are to people not in the UK, interestingly. So you can buy from any of the GS1s. You, there will be one almost certainly in local country, and we'll give you links to all of that in the show notes. So if you are like, oh my gosh, I don't know where our GTINs came from and you want to sort that out, contact your local GS1 office. They are incredibly helpful and they really know what they're doing because they created them. Um, and if you need GTINs, please, please, please buy them from the right place. Uh, get them in. And they, will, they of course, they help you wherever you're selling your product, not just on the marketplaces. Okay. Those are the two housekeeping things, but I think Lorna's given us a lot to think about there about getting things in order, ready to sell well on marketplaces, because it is a whole business strategy. It's not just set it and forget it. You have to do it, get it set up right in the first place, and then you have to optimise it. And it's one of those places where if you don't get it set up right in the first place, you can really damage your results further down the line. So it is well worth, even if it takes you six months or 12 months to work through those five areas Lorna outlined, it is well worth getting it right because it will kind of retrospectively fix things that you've let tick over in your in your main business and it will mean you're starting right in those places. So lots of extra information for you there, just as we've had throughout our month on marketplaces. You can get all those links we mentioned the full transcript of the episode, important notes and much more at keepoptimizing.com. There you can also get access to our Q&A webinar, which is happening this afternoon. So if you are listening to this and it's not yet five o'clock in the UK, uh, sorry, four o'clock in the UK even, she says not being able to read her own handwriting, then you've still got time to sign up and join us live to get your marketplace questions answered by our specialists from this month. And if it's later than that, then you can come along and watch the replay. So to access all of that, head to keepoptimizing.com and click on the Q&A webinar link on the, on the header. And then you can get signed up and get all that great info, get your questions answered, basically. And I suspect, um, as we've got both Thomas and Chris joining us, we'll have a bit more of a debate about whether you should or shouldn't be selling on marketplaces. 
Thank you so much for tuning in to this episode of the Keep Optimising podcast. Our whole set of episodes about marketplaces is now live. Those are episodes 54 to 57. So please do have a listen to them all and make sure you tune in next Wednesday when we'll be starting our series of four shows about the latest and greatest marketing opportunities. Yes, next month, rather than focusing on one single topic, we're going to be telling you about four big opportunities to grow your sales this year and beyond. So we're kicking off with TikTok. uh, So get ready for that. And if you know someone who's particularly interested in improving their e-commerce marketing at the moment, please let them know about this podcast, the Keep Optimising podcast, as it exists to help you and them improve your marketing. Have a great week, all of you. Hope to see some of you in the webinar later on uh, today, if you listen to this live, and make sure you listen to the next episode so I can help you to keep optimising your marketing. Access everything Keep Optimising at keepoptimising.com. That's with an S, not a Z.